Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Boost your skills with tech boot camps and carve out a new career path through dynamic, future-forward courses. The world of work is evolving. Future-proof yourself with SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology. The host for this episode is Patrick Wu. Patrick is a freelance graphic designer, UX designer, and marketing consultant with a background in biotechnology and life sciences commercialization. His career has taken him across a wide range of areas, from sales and marketing, government advocacy, ecosystem development, and now design. Since 2016, he has since been an active member of the Rainforest community, advocating for technology innovation and life sciences in Alberta. And now let's let Patrick lead the conversation with his guest, Colton Ryerson. Take it away, Patrick. Thanks, Al. Hi again. Hopefully I'll sound better this time around with a new microphone that I am renting, but as another as another part of the innovation cycle, right? We're, we're going to be experimenting until we get it right. Uh, and the next guinea pig that's going to be coming up with me is uh, Colton Ryson from Startup Calgary. Hi, Colton. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Keeping busy. Wonderful. So uh, for those of our listeners who don't necessarily know uh, who you are, how about you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and just say, like, who are you and, uh, you know, what do you do at Startup Calgary? Sure. So I'm, I'm Colton. I work for Startup Calgary. Colton Ryson, I guess is my full name. Uh, I work for Startup Calgary. I've been... Uh, at Startup Calgary for about a year, I guess now. Started March 30th, so a year and a bit now. So it feels it's all been during the pandemic. So uh, that's sort of like the sad part, but uh, it's been great being part of it. And uh, what do I do at Startup Calgary? So work as the kind of the front door to the community. We work with early stage founders to provide resources and support. Um, I do some advisory stuff as well, being that I work with Platform Calgary. Um, as like the other half of my job, do some event stuff, do just really whatever, whatever needs to get done is, is what I do. Um, so kind of, how did you, how did you get involved? Cause it's already been a year, right? And so what kind of drew you into, into this role? So I have a background as an entrepreneur, a two-time entrepreneur, I guess. It seems like a little, I don't know if that's really accurate, but sort of true. So I, I had my own small business, uh, doing an outdoor adventure program with kids. And then I had my own startup doing hydroponics and shipping containers and working up north. I had a background there and I, I, I had some uh, interaction with the startup community in Edmonton. And actually for, for a while, I was like, man, I hate this community. I don't want to be a part of it. But then the last like few years, it's really it's changed. It's gotten a little more mature. And I actually just abl- I blind applied for this role, which I didn't even think was like a thing. Uh, so kind of, kind of got fortunate, I think. So you're, you're not, I'm not going to let you go without you explaining what you meant when you said you're not, you know, not a big fan of the community in that current state back then, right? Yeah, it was just, you know, like I, I as an entrepreneur and I was 21 or, or 22, something like that during my first business. And I got a lot of bad advice and a lot of advice from, from people who aren't 
founders have never been there and just sort of like didn't get a good experience in the community, I would say. And then more and more founders are kind of giving back. And that's when I think I was like, okay, I, I like see what the merit is. And yeah, just the quality of people involved has been really, really great. And have you and have you noticed that kind of change uh, over the past uh, little while that you've been working here? I don't, I don't know. Like, it's tough to say because I'm from, well, I'm from rural Alberta, but I spent the beginning of my career in Edmonton. It's tough for me to say what's like community progress versus what's just like city differences. I don't work in that community. I don't work in Edmonton. I work here. And so in the last year, there's been a lot more people kind of getting involved with tech and, and getting into this community, particularly from like the oil and gas world. Although I don't know if that's like, maybe I'm just getting to know more people or maybe there's more momentum. I don't I don't really know, but I think there's more momentum. Yeah, I mean, I, I think slowly we've uh, we've been growing as a community in Alberta in general, right? Both, both Calgary and Edmonton. But I definitely feel like it has been a significant improvement now than say seven years ago, eight years ago, when I first started kind of joining the community myself. Um, you know, there was always been a bit of an undercurrent in, in the community in my, as far as I've observed things. But, um, you know, the, the activity is growing and uh, organizations uh, like Startup Calgary and Startup Edmonton, I think, have been key, key players in that. Um, what, what have you, what's one of the big things that you've learned so far uh, during your past year? Just what consistently surprises me is just how based on giving back this community in Calgary is. I've learned a lot about just like how approachable people that like I really have no business having access to. And like if I was to ask them for a coffee, they would they would take a coffee, um, which is really cool. So that's something I've learned a lot. And the other thing is I've, I've learned a ton about Calgary, which has kind of been fun. A lot about like just like cultural differences between the cities. And uh, there's a lot of pride, a lot of pride in Calgary for the city itself, which I think comes through in kind of the tech community as well. Um, so yeah, just, just a lot of learning there. And so like you said, you came from rural Alberta, like what part of rural Alberta? A bit of a complicated answer, but I was born in Vermilion and then I went to high school in a town called Denalda. Well, I went to middle school there. They didn't have a high school, but I grew up in Denalda is what I'd like to say, which is south of Camrose, north of Stetley, a really small town. I, I, I realize that I really like regret asking the rural towns because I'm not a very big uh, geography person, apparently. So I'm sure I'm sure some of the other listeners know like where these places are. I think it's a thing like if you're from small town Alberta or even Saskatchewan, I suspect, you know, all the other small towns just for what like you played them in hockey or you played them in whatever and so you like know every other little small town uh but it doesn't seem like other people do i just sort of thought this was like universal but i guess not <laughs> i mean i like for me as a as a city slicker my entire life it's i i have i just feel like i i barely knew the geography of calgary like the city itself if people tell me which community they're from for years i'm like i have no idea what part of the city that was in so maybe maybe that just be me that might just be me and i don't know like other people might have a much better grasp of where where things are relative to each other you you did mention though like one of your past kind of companies that you were working on was um it was a hydroponics uh, thing or actually uh, tell me a little bit about what kind of, what you kind of did for both of these um companies that you worked with and kind of you know how did those go so I'm no longer doing either. So that's that's a short answer to that, um, but not in a bad way. So um, yeah, I, I worked in sports and rec for six years, seven years, something like that. But I remember going on like a trip with my family when I was 16 and I did like this overnight 
kayaking island hopping thing and i thought like damn this is what i want to do for work and so i kind of made a series of decisions after after high school to to pursue that um i turned away from it for about a year i didn't think i was like ah you know that's not very realistic but then just kind of festered in my mind and uh got a job at like a mountain biking camp when i was 19 and then um that led to another job and i ended up teaching a bunch of other sports and tennis i became a registered tennis professional which which just means I've taught tennis. It makes me sound better at tennis than I am. Well, better than me. I, I still have the badminton form whenever I play tennis, which usually means my wrists are wrecked by the end of it. Yes. Like, I had to go through a certification program, so I knew some things. But, like, I'm actually not that good at tennis. But anyways. Well, so the problem with racket sports is that I'm not used to the fact that there's something further than my hand to hit things with. And so I'm actually very, very good at hitting it with my wrist, like literally with the wrist. Um, which means nothing in racket sports because it usually just means the birdie or the ball gets deflected everywhere and then I get really in pain. Uh, there's a reason why I don't play racket sports very much, you see. Yeah, and you probably have a high, you strike at chest height would be my guess. But anyway, you just need coaching apparently. Yeah, so I did that. Um, then I, I was kind of ready to start my own and I went through the sort of startup world and learned all about lean startup um, and try, kind of tried to apply it to more of a small business than a proper startup. And it was sort of a square peg round hole situation, but I ended up getting like a partnership with Snow Valley Ski Club in Edmonton. So they were my partner for like a lot of the, like they took in payment and they helped with some of the marketing and promo and stuff. And I ran the camp basically. And so it was an outdoor adventure program for kids. Uh, we did like plan identification. It was a lot like scouts, but not, associated with scouts anyway but similar kind of thing but like just kind of teaching people about nature going outdoors and kind of kind of yeah. doing that stuff yeah and like in the river valley in edmonton there's lots of like good hikes and stuff you could do um and then what i really liked about that was kind of the the instructional aspect working with kids and teaching them stuff was great but as i got more weeks booked in the summer it became more about like managing the business than it was about working with the kids and, and actually like having having fun outside um and so i, I kind of got to the point where i just didn't really want to do that anymore um it was like kind of like a six-year build-up to getting there and two years of running it or whatever and yeah i just kind of talked to to my partners at snow valley and was like you know what i don't really i don't really want to do this anymore and just kind of walked away i mean so so what happens right if you if you kind of joined in for one particular thing and you find yourself you're no longer doing it anymore then you know, it's hard, it's hard to to stay motivated doing doing that kind of stuff, right? If if you're, well, I mean, I, I I see a little bit of that, right? You're running programs now, you're doing you're doing all that kind of stuff. You're kind of get, getting back into like the education side of things a little bit. Yeah, it's similar in that like working with kids, particularly in sports and rec, teaches you to think on your feet really well because kids are very unpredictable, and you'll just like start an activity and it just it's not going well at all. So you have to switch it up and. That type of stuff has actually helped a lot. And I guess like in a, in a sort of sense, like public speaking as well. I don't know. I guess technically I do public speaking for work. You, you are speaking to the public. Actually, maybe maybe you should tell some uh, tell the listeners about kind of what, what Startup Calgary has been running lately. Yeah. So we run a program called Startup Essentials. It's a three workshop series. Um, Startup 101, Customer 101, and Customer 201. It kind of takes early phase, like ideation level entrepreneurs through just an introduction to the startup community and all the kind of BS made up words we use and teaches people about that and tech in Calgary and a little bit of like 
early phase tools and stuff like that, like Lean Canvas and Business Model Canvas or Value Prop Canvas, all those types of stuff, lots of resources. And then after that, it's all around customer discovery and how to talk to customers and learn if you have a problem we're solving. So um, we do that every month and you know, Patrick's involved and he's facilitating. You facilitated one, I guess. And I facilitated once. Like that it doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's not an ongoing thing yet. Once so far. I mean, one so far, fine. Yeah, so so those go every month, and we have other stuff that we're trying to get kind of back up and running. But uh, we just kind of moved in with platforms, so some some growing pains. When did that happen? January first. So now now that you kind of moved over to platform, like um, how how do you feel like things have changed? They have changed for sure. Um, it went from kind of like we had a mini team of of me and Briar at uh, CED, and, and we had Alicia and, and Trish working with us as well. And they had like you know their own jobs, and we were kind of like the the side of their desk. They were helping us out. It was mine and Briar's kind of whole thing. And now we have like a full team of people working on the same stuff and all a little bit more focused. So so that's been really good. It's just ma- mainly been. A difference of focus and like even these startup essentials like me and Armel are running them every week instead of just me so so like even that is like a huge break and um, plus it gives me an opportunity to work with a little bit different set of entrepreneurs through uh, Alberta Yield and, and Junction and some of the other programs we have at a platform so yeah it's been really good and and just kind of having a whole new people but you've got more opportunities right to to kind of grow up and get more uh get more resources to run more programs or run something new yeah and just like hands hands on deck like if we need help with stuff and this will come into play a lot when launch party comes around again uh, in november and then we'll have like a full team of people to kind of work on that mm-hmm. well Let's talk about uh, some of those upcoming events then, because I know, you know, right now it's still all digital, still all virtual. All of these Startup Essential workshops are all online right now. Uh, but what what's the plan for uh, some of these large events, or is it still too early for us to kind of get a teaser on that? I wish I had a cool teaser. I don't know what'll happen when we'll go in person again. Maybe hybrid, maybe only online. We might run some stuff virtual only. We'll, we'll see. We've been discussing it a lot, and... It'll really depend on kind of what the community's demand is, I guess, and, and what people really want. But we've had some some big wins doing some stuff virtual, like Alberta Yield. We work with lots of rural entrepreneurs. Um, it's ag tech specific, and that makes sense, right? Uh, and they don't have to drive to Calgary or Edmonton then, which is kind of nice. Uh, great for them. And a lot of them are, you know, full-time farming and starting a business. So driving to the city for the morning is not realistic. So stuff like that, like we're probably going to be exploring some sort of hybrid, but uh, we don't really know yet. Yeah, I think I think um, having the virtual, like the virtual programming, I think has been really beneficial for you to kind of reach out to places beyond the city limits a little bit, I think. Um, just kind of connecting with those people who would normally not be able to come downtown for for an hour or two in the evening because they have so many different things in their lives going on. So in a way, it's kind of made accessibility a bit better. But I think for a lot of people, we're also kind of just missing the the in-person thing. So who knows? Maybe you'll run some hybrid things in the future and just want some of them are digital, some of them are not. I, I want to go back to in-person. Like, I really miss people. I, I You know, taking this job, I, I wanted to work with people. That's the reason I took it. Um, and that's why I was interested in being part of this community. And it's not that I don't work with people. It's just, it's different now. You, you identify yourself as more of an extroverted person, I would take a guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, I'm not subtle about it, yeah. But like, just being able to like, if I did like Startup 101, and then I'd be like, I'm going to go for a beer. Who would like to come? Like, those types of things are really great. Um, good for community building, good to meet people, 
all that type of stuff. So plus it's just fun. Well, I mean, you know, say as, as things go along, hopefully we'll be able to kind of get back to that soon, right? So I, I want to kind of go back a little bit because we didn't I, we didn't finish talking about this before we just kind of veered off into a different direction. But you had another company that you were running beyond the sports uh, thing. You said something about hydroponics and containers, right? This one's like it's quite complex in the way it started. Um, so I was with a, worked with a student group, and we were trying to start businesses through the student group. So I worked with Anactus Nate. And we, we really wanted to like run some sort of business. And so the idea we came up with was doing hydroponics and shipping containers. Um, initially we started actually, we wanted to do disaster relief and have like shipping containers plunked down as little disaster relief centers. Cause I think there was a hurricane in the Caribbean at that point. So it was very like apparent. And then we had this, this other idea working with people out of Ottawa, they're still running company called Grocer and uh, they're working in northern communities right now and our aspect was to help with the design help manufacture by taking auto work tradespeople, um, giving them marginal employment because at the time I think it was 2016 2017-ish, a lot of auto work tradespeople. So we were manufacturing and and making these systems and working with the company out of Ottawa to uh, to build and sell them. So we we're helping source northern communities and uh, build partnerships and yeah we we got really we're doing really well um won some awards and and whatever we got to building our first one and looked at scale not just like in terms of revenue but in terms of our impact like we were running it as a social enterprise and so our goals were to you know grow produce locally in northern communities so give them a sustainable source of you know, vegetables that was not otherwise available there at a reasonable price uh, to provide work for out of trade work tradespeople. We just weren't having the impact we wanted. Um, and then also the financial aspect wasn't really there. So we kind of shut it down. Like we could have built a few and, and just gave it a go for a little while, but it just wasn't going to be a long-term play for us. So, so we kind of shut it down. So, so it happens, right? Because that's that's a lot more common than people think. And I think it's important to kind of talk about these stories because it normalizes that a little bit, right? It's not a, a huge like kind of like mark of shame or anything like that when it turns out something that you thought you were creating just didn't work out the way that you wanted to. Yeah, it was really tough because like, I, I'd like to think it was like one of the hardest decisions I've probably ever made was that like the news wanted to do stories on us and, and it would have been probably good from a career perspective to just like build a few take credit and let it die but that wasn't the goal right the goal was for the the impact that we wanted to create with tradespeople in up north and and to build something sustainable rather than you know a lot of these northern communities have people i mean like me who came in and tried to help and fail and or or they do something once and never come back and that's not actually that helpful and so we didn't want to contribute to that so it was really really tough decision to kind of shut it down but uh, I think it was it was the right decision. But uh, some sometimes I think about it. I'm like, oh man, what if? But yeah, I'm happy with the decisions I made. I guess. Still, like, what what do you think? Um, you like, what would you kind of give as advice to other entrepreneurs based on kind of what you've worked through, right? Like, what what would you have learned from this? I think like, as much as I just expressed a little bit of regret for for not doing it, but I think you know have your goals in mind and and. Uh, particularly people who are running or looking to run social enterprise businesses, like just really think about what your goals are and there's going to be compromises along the way you probably have to make, but uh, just be careful about how many compromises you're bringing, you're, you're making and how many people you're bringing on that don't have kind of a shared vision. And then if you're not having the impact you wanted, then 
then don't be afraid to shut it down. No, know your core values, though, right? You know exactly what what you're trying to uh, tackle and whether or not it's like the things that you're doing right now still reflect the values that you want the organization to uphold. Yeah, and it, it is really tough because uh, you do make like small compromises and then you make a little more compromise, a little more compromise. And then like, you know, I think it's really easy to get away from that vision, particularly in a social enterprise model. But I think true for any entrepreneur in that like a lot of the things we do at a platform and when we're working with entrepreneurs is, you know, what's your goal? What are you looking to get out of this? If you're looking to scale and make a ton of money, that's different than, uh, you know, somebody else's goals potentially. So it's oddly personal. Yeah. And I think, I think you, you touched on something there, right? Is that little compromises can add up here and there because opportunities that I think that get presented to you don't necessarily match everything a hundred percent. And so you have to start to kind of decide, okay, I would need to grow the company, but then I would have to kind of compromise on this one thing. And is it worth it so that we can still continue growing to continue achieving the mission? Or is this going to be a value that we lose that will really negatively impact us down the road? And I think that's a very much an it depends kind of situation, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, like when we were looking to manufacture, um, we would have had to have a pipeline of like, I can't remember the exact number, but like eight to 10 units before we'd be able to hire a number of full-time welders. And otherwise it was significantly more cost-effective to use robotics welding, which is like pretty much the opposite of what our goal was. So that was like, you know, one of the things that we just didn't want to compromise on because that wasn't why we got into it. That wasn't the type of people we wanted. Well, I mean, we didn't want to help make money for welding companies necessarily using robotics welding. Like that's fine, but that wasn't our goal. So yeah, it's just... That was a big compromise, but there's like smaller ones that kind of led to that too. I mean, it's hard to kind of keep track of all those little ones too, right? Especially if it's been that long ago. So, you know, it it happens. And, you know, as long as you learn something from it, I think we just need to normalize a little bit more failure, right? Because that's what we're trying to teach all the other entrepreneurs too out there. When I ran a startup one-on-one a few weeks ago, (laughs) I've never really occurred to me until that moment. But the funny thing about, you you know, giving it a try with a startup or or trying to be a founder or whatever, or being a founder is pretty much no matter what people think you're cool. Um, Even if you're not, and even if you failed spectacularly, it doesn't really matter. Uh, People are like, wow, that's really interesting. And uh, I mean, it directly led to this job. So that's kind of fun. Well, you're, you're, you're trying to do something that's a little bit beyond the typical nine to five office thing, right? You're trying to kind of go off the beaten path. And I think that alone makes you a much more interesting person that way, right? I don't know. Like, I guess. I, I suppose so. It doesn't really seem that different to me. Maybe I just don't have like the wisdom of hindsight and age yet. I say this as a person who's been freelancing mostly by accident for quite a number of years now is that... Um, it doesn't actually come naturally to a lot of people um, to to kind of do this type of stuff. And uh, even though I didn't think that this was a kind of thing that I really thought I was capable of doing, it turns out there's a lot of other people who would just never take the plunge to begin with. That is true. Yeah, there's like a weird, just sort of crazy thing inside you that makes you want to do it. I think it's a good idea. I don't know if it's actually a good idea, but you did anyway. So I guess the other, the another question that I kind of want to, I ask like all the guests, or at least I intend to ask all my guests from here on out is kind of what, what else has been keeping you busy? Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a side hustle or something, but maybe like a hobby. Like, what have you been learning lately? What have I been learning? Oh yeah. I meant to think of an answer to this. That was better than, than what I had. I, do, I don't, I don't really have like a ton extra going on. Like we, we have, um, 
my partner really recently started kayaking, I guess. So we bought kayaks last year and we've been doing that. When I said when I was 16, I did this like multi-day kayaking thing, which then led to my business. That was like, I've wanted to own a kayak since I was 16. And I never really had like a lifestyle or a location to, to do that. So now I kind of do, which, which is fun uh, in Calgary and not only in Calgary, but also like there's nothing else to do. So when you go, when you go to the mountains and the trails are all full, uh, it's nice to get on the water because you kind of avoid a lot of people. So we're going to be kayaking hopefully a bunch this summer. Got into fly fishing, I guess, last kind of year or two. Ooh, maybe a little while. I'm not very good at it, actually, come to think of it. It's like, I guess I've been fly fishing for like four years and I'm not very good at it. I mean, like, I, I can't even figure out, like, what the difference between fly fishing and regular fishing is, if there's a difference between it. So, you know, you, you've already got to, you've got to step up from, like, a lot of us. Again, city slickers. You're talking to city slickers. Well, to be fair, I didn't learn growing up how to fly fish. I actually took a class uh, three or four years ago, just that was hosted by, like, Edmonton Fly Fishing Association or something like that. And it was just me and a bunch of old guys learning to fly fish. So I think I was the youngest guy in the room by like 35 years. In, in the same way that I've been attending like Calgary Horticultural Society, like meetings, learning how to like figure out what to do with my garden. And in the same way, like I'm, I'm like the youngest person in this meeting by half. So, you know, we, you know, at some point everyone picks up their hobbies. I know some people are picking up crocheting, knitting. Yeah, it's like coming back. Not, not into that, but uh, I've been doing way too much. Like I been gaming a lot is okay um it's not really how i want to spend my time as much as i am now but there's not a lot else a lot else going on i'm trying to pick back up a language i learned russian i traveled a few years ago through a lot of russian speaking countries so i learned russian i never got fluent by any means but i was like semi conversational and then you don't use it at all so it goes away and then i'm like you know what that'd be kind of cool i got free time i think i'm on this covid learn language bandwagon really late perhaps but uh that's okay so Duolingo is really crappy for like you, it's Cyrillic. And like, so if you're, if you're learning a language like Russian, which uses a different alphabet really early on, it wants you to type stuff in, in Cyrillic. And like, that is basically impossible when you're learning a new language. Um, I can sound out Cyrillic fairly well, like a two-year-old. Um, I guess two-year-olds can't read. So maybe like a five-year-old and uh, yeah, so I can sound it out. But uh, that's about it. So I'm using um, Rosetta Stone. Ah, I see. Yeah, I've been I've been using Duolingo, and when you when you said it's kind of crappy, part of me is laughing because I'm like, yeah, I kind of see it because I'm trying to pick up French, and and you're absolutely right. Like it is it is a lot of typing, and me just trying to remember where all the accents go is already hard enough. Let alone a completely new alphabet with completely different characters, right? So yeah, my partner tried to learn Mandarin, and it was like there was zero percent chance of her learning it through Duolingo. There is no alphabet in, in Chinese. So like, good luck. There's a, there's a reason why I stopped going to Chinese school after like grade six is like, okay, no, this is too much. I can't, I can't like, it's hard. It's very hard. It's difficult. Yeah. That's like not even a, attempt that one, maybe someday, but, but not for a while. Very briefly, I tried to kind of learn the Korean like Hangul alphabet, and then at, at, at the same time, like I I don't have enough brain capacity to do this. And I have a feeling that as you're getting older, it's also much harder to learn a new language because it's like I rem I used to do really well in French class in high school, like when I was 18, and now it's like I'm I'm now like almost twice the age now, and like this is twice as hard. Yeah, it is tough, and it's tough to like find time. Like I, I think. I would do classes in person maybe. It's like it's it's tough cuz cuz like even something like Rosetta Stone doesn't help you with pronunciation. 
you could be pronouncing completely wrong and you would never know. Oh, I, I know I pronounce things wrong, but you know, when I visited Paris the last time, a lot of people just looked at me at pity and then just like started speaking to me in English. I'm like, good, good. We'll just work with that. Man. Yeah. We have Claire at platform and she would mock me if I tried to learn French, I'm sure. So wonderful. Well, thank you Colton so much for, for joining me today. And um, you know, if for, for our listeners out there, if you want to learn about Startup Calgary, you know, startupcalgary.ca um, or reach out to Colton through the various methods that he just explained to us. So um, thanks again, Colton, for joining us. Back to you, Al. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.